The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I wish we would have had a combine last year so I could walk around like Ric Flair. Uh, just a quick programming note. Steve Kime will be here at 3 p.m. Um, I know he's really anxious to talk to you guys, so any other tough ones you can say for him. What do you think when you saw you up there? What I think when I saw it? Um, I thought it was an agent doing his job. No reason to believe that he wouldn't play this season if he didn't have an agent. No. I think all of our long-term term goal here is to have Kyler be our, our quarterback. He understands that. and He understands my um, view of him and, and how I feel about him. And um, Once again, I'm going to refer it back to the business side of things, and that's not something that I, I deal with. But um, it's all part of the business right now and, and the things that we we'll continue to work through. What are some of your favorite things when you watch, you know, Kirk Cousins? He's incredibly talented, smart. You know, he's, he, he's an incredible person. I'm excited to work with him. Do you find it odd at all that he hasn't really firmly slammed the door shut? He slammed it shut when I talked to him. So. <laughs> I like it. I think he like a lot of these guys, and he likes to have his name out there. <laughs> <laughs> It's a Tuesday edition of PFTPM. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio, neither of us in Indianapolis. And based upon some of the images I saw out of the media room there, I've, I've got no complaints about that. The pandemic is over. It's like it never even happened, Shereen. And it was two years ago. That was the last thing that I did before the world turned upside down. So a lot of memories seeing the images of Indy. But I'm, I'm glad to let this year in Indy percolate without me. And maybe the last year in Indy, Mike, it does look like that thing might move around. And Los Angeles and obviously Dallas-Fort Worth are in the running for it next year. So this might be the last time we see Indy for a while. I I have been hearing that for years, and it's all driven by the earning potential of moving the scouting combine, like the draft, like the Super Bowl. It's just something else that can go from city to city. And I think it's a shame I think the combine is perfect for Indianapolis for a variety of reasons. It becomes a more difficult endeavor elsewhere, but the NFL doesn't care. And uh, that's the bottom line. It doesn't matter if it's convenient for the teams, for the prospects, for the media, for anybody. If it's profitable for the league, it's going to happen. So, you know, I'm kind of sad I may be missing what will be the last year in Indianapolis, but maybe one of these years it'll come back there again. It has been there forever what we're going to do today it's fairly truncated we got about half of a show because we've got interviews on the back end sims and i did a bunch of them in a three three and a half hour block earlier today you are going to hear from and this was a stunner to me when i saw it on the list given some of the criticisms we've had of the houston texans general manager nick casario for an extended interview coming up later in the program and then new giants gm joe shane that is going to take up about half the show that's how long those two interviews went but we got plenty to talk about before then shireen and let's let's start with what what i think was the most significant news of the day because tom brady is retired i don't think he's really retired i think he's coming back i think he's retired from the tampa bay buccaneers buccaneers coach bruce arians earlier today talking about 
Brady's status and whether or not Brady will ultimately be playing for another team if he decides to play again. Here he is. Now, there's quotes obviously coming out that you would welcome Tom Brady back whenever, right? And I think a lot of coaches would. And then they said, would you agree to let him go somewhere else? In that question, I didn't get to hear the entire thing. But were they saying in the short term, long term, or in your eyes, the same exact thing doesn't matter? Like if in five years when he's 50, if he wants to come back and play, like do you think that's, you know, because you'll probably still be coaching by then. But is that what did you mean by that quote? And uh, do you think there is a chance he comes back? If he comes back, I, I don't think so because of the reasons he retired. Uh, but uh, if he does, he's going to be playing for us. That's just some of what Bruce Arians said. More details provided both to Pat Mac- McAfee and speaking to reporters today. Shereen, I think the last person to comment reliably on the comings and goings of Tom Brady is Bruce Arians because it was Arians who said before Brady retired, I'll be shocked if he retires. More recently, he said, I'll be shocked if he comes back. I think Bruce Aarons just may be shocked a lot because I don't think he really knows what Brady's going to do. And I think if Brady comes back, he's going to be intent on playing somewhere else. And I know the Buccaneers hold his rights, but I think if he's intent on playing somewhere else, it's going to be very hard to keep that from happening. And it's not going to be Bruce Aarons' call as to whether or not the Buccaneers let it happen. Yeah, Mike, you know, he hasn't really retired. He hasn't used the word retired. And as I was doing my research for this, I did a, a search and it came up with Tom Brady yesterday from a golf tournament. Uh, and he again left the door open. They asked him if his let's go podcast was his only employment as of right this minute. And he says that's to be determined. So every interview that he's done, he hasn't slammed the door as Bruce Arians claims he has done in private conversations. So I do think there's still an opportunity for Tom Brady to come back and play. Now, having said all that, don't you think that this has to be done sooner than later, especially if he's playing for another team? A, because of the way that he gets ready to play. And B, if you remember back, to, and I realize the, the offseason was a little bit different with COVID, but remember how it, long it took him to learn the Bucks' offense. And we just thought he was going to step right in and learn it. It was a little bit of a learning curve there, and the Bucks didn't exactly start off 2020 uh, with a bang. And they had struggles, and he had struggles. And there was a little bit of thought of, hey, is Tom Brady done? And all those sorts of things. So I do think that this needs to be done sooner than later if he's going to play elsewhere, Mike. Well, the reality, though, is the Buccaneers can't make a move before June 1 because that would trigger a $32 million cap charge for this season. They can't trade him. They can't cut him. They can't put him on the reserve retired list until after June 1. I personally think that part of the the truce that he's negotiated with his wife entails no football at least until June 1. And then after that, the wheels may be in motion. And look, he's the one that started all this by saying, never say never, six days after he announced whatever his status currently is. And I think he retired from the Buccaneers. There were so many questions about why did he only mention the Buccaneers in his multi-page social media post announcing his retirement. And he thanked everyone in the organization in one way, shape, or form didn't mention the Patriots, and uh, that created a little bit of a ruckus. But maybe the easy answer is that was his separation from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And if he does come back to play, 
it will be for another team. And look, look, Arian said that it would be bad business. This is what he told reporters. He's not going to let him play for another team. What if someone wanted to trade for him? It's going to take five first-round picks. I mean, nobody's going to give five first-round picks. I, I look at it very simply. Tom Brady went to Tampa Bay and signed a two-year contract. Last year, he signed an extension, but it was mainly a salary cap thing. It's not like they gave him some big extra pile of money and, oh, anything else they would have given him, he earned by winning a Super Bowl in his first year with the team. If he wants to go somewhere else, it's not a conversation he's going to have with Bruce Arians. Sorry, Bruce. It's a conversation he's going to have, at, at a minimum with Jason Light, if not with Light, with the Glazer family. And it, it, it's not all that hard to make the argument that Tom Brady should be given the ability to move on if he wants to. Now, maybe there'll be some perfunctory draft pick compensation, but, but nothing dramatic, nothing significant. He's already given the Buccaneers everything they could ask for. A Super Bowl win in 2020 and a full stadium for their home games in 2021 and a team that made it to the divisional round. What, what more could they want? This is not a guy in whose way you stand if he wants to come back, and I think he does. We spent a lot of time yesterday talking about how the Dolphins were trying to do a Sean Payton-Tom Brady package deal. The fact that Brady was even in that conversation makes me more convinced he's coming back. I think it's going to be with the 49ers, and I really don't think – Bruce Arians, who likes to huff and puff, is going to blow his house down. Mike, let me ask a question about the post-June 1. But they can announce that they're making him a post-June 1, right? And he can go agree to terms with another team before June 1. Is that Do I have that correct? Well, they would have to trade him effective June 2, and there can be a loose understanding as to where he's going to be traded, just like the Matt Stafford trade from last year announced or but what if they cut acknowledged him? or all oh, they could cut him they could cut him with a post june one designation they could right. do that and then he could sign with another team i i i just don't think I, i'd be think stunned be if they trade. cut him i feel like they yeah. get something for him but yes they could cut him now and process it after june one and only take the eight million dollar cap charge for him in 2022 that is a possibility and and again if he wants it how, how are you going to say no to that how, how would right. you what 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 right do you have as the buccaneers to squat on this guy and say hey you play for one team and one team only if he doesn't want to play there anymore if he's had enough of bruce arians i mean we've already seen those reports rich hornberger and that created a little bit of a dust storm a week and a half ago and uh and, and, you know, the, the, the smart thinking is there is something there that Arians is more retired than working full time and, you know, barnstorming in and scrapping portions of the game plan and Brady resenting that. And, you know, so so look, I just think something's going on there. And uh, I, I, I reiterate my point with all due respect to Bruce Arians. I don't trust him to be the the best source of Tom Brady information as it relates to what Brady's going to do or what the Buccaneers will do if Brady wants to play again. I think he'll find a way to whatever team he wants to play for. And I think it's in the league's best interest to facilitate that too, if they have to twist some arms to make it happen. You don't want a situation where the guy wants to play and the Buccaneers are squatting on his rights because they can. Well, and here's the thing, Mike. If I'm Tom Brady and I do decide I want to play, maybe he has made an agreement with Giselle, as you said, to wait until June that he's not going to do any football stuff until then. But if I'm Tom Brady and I decide I want to play, 
Like, I'm going to ask the Bucks. I want you to cut me because there's going to be more choices now. There's going to be more time to learn the playbook, all those sorts of things. I would go in and ask that and ask for that opportunity before all these teams feel their quarterback need. Now, June, you're talking about the 49ers, probably going to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. So they will have space and they can add Tom Brady and all those sorts of things. So that makes sense if it happens later. But I, if I'm Tom Brady, like, I want to look at all my options. I want to consider Denver. I want to consider Indianapolis. I want to consider some other places that I might have a chance to win a championship. And, and those opportunities might not be there come June 2nd if they wait that long. So that's what I would do if I'm Tom Brady and I have any inkling whatsoever that I want to play. Go ask for your release post-June uh, one release and and give you an opportunity at least to look around and to talk to some teams and find out what's out there. Look, here's the reality. If Tom Brady wants to talk to teams now, he will. If he wants to well, talk to teams yeah. later, he will. If he wants to make it known, and, and the last team to complain about it can be the Buccaneers because they tampered yeah, with right. him two years yeah. ago. They, they did in what Bruce Arians said at the Combine in 2020 – and everybody kind of shrugged. Yeah, we're going to give Tom Brady a call. That's tamper. That's a tampering violation. I know the NFL only enforces the tampering rules when it wants to. That was a violation. And then when they signed Tom Brady, they really worked hard to push the narrative that they didn't contact him at all until the moment they were allowed to. That was bullcrap. They were talking to him. They were recruiting him. They wanted him. And that's fine. My point is... That just gives Tom Brady even more right to go out and talk to whoever he wants to talk to. And if he wants to go to the 49ers, I think it's very simple. 49ers move on from Garoppolo, trade or cut or whatever. Trey Lance is the quarterback until the moment that they work out a Tom Brady deal. And, and for, the, the 49ers would be nuts to not take advantage this time around of an opportunity to let Tom Brady play for the team he grew up rooting for. They blew it two years ago. They blew it with Patrick Mahomes in 2017 because they thought they were going to get Kirk Cousins the next year. Then they trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. Then Tom Brady wants to come in 2020, and they say, no thanks, we're good. Well, you're not good enough, not without Tom Brady. If he wants to come back and cap his career playing for the team he grew up rooting for, you say, yes, sir. Yes, sir, let us know when you're going to be here and let us know what we need to do. And, and, and so... That, that's why it's different. He doesn't need to be available. Anywhere he wants to go, they'll know, he'll know, and they'll work it out. And to the extent that, that Bruce Arians thinks he's going to be an impediment, I just think Bruce Arians is dead wrong. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, Mike. I mean, Tom Brady's going to pull the strings here, and, and he should be allowed to do that. He brought Tampa Bay a Super Bowl title. He gave him their one title. He played there two years. Had a great career in Tampa. Let him do whatever he wants to do as a goodbye gift to Tom Brady. The uh, the, the issue is something that will indeed play out as the offseason continues to unfold. One of the other big stories that we're waiting for an answer from, and it's strange how this sense has developed that Aaron Rodgers is going to choose to stay in Green Bay. That notion was accelerated on Monday night when NFL media reported that the Packers and Aaron Rodgers representatives are negotiating a short-term contract. Well, there's no reason to negotiate a short-term contract if Aaron Rodgers is intent on leaving. And it feels like the Packers are doing everything they can to set things up in a way that's conducive to Aaron Rodgers staying. General Manager Brian Gutekunst told reporters today that not one general manager has asked for an Aaron Rodgers trade for the price of an Aaron Rodgers trade. And, and look, that, that makes sense because... 
until we know that Rodgers is asking to be traded, there's no reason to call the Packers and say, what's it going to take? We're all waiting to find out whether or not Rodgers wants to stay with the Green Bay Packers. So he's promised that a decision will come pretty quickly within a couple of weeks after the last time he spoke publicly, at least without talking to Pat McAfee. I'm talking about the Thursday night that he won the MVP award. He said it'll take a couple of weeks. A decision will come pretty quickly. We're almost three weeks removed from that moment yeah. now. I, th- I think by the end of the week, we'll know what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. And I think the longer it takes, the more likely he is just staying put. Yeah, Mike, and you got that sense when they hired Tom Clements as a quarterback's coach. He and and Aaron Rodgers have a long-term relationship, as we know, been together for for a long time. So that was kind of the first sense I've got of the Packers are really trying to to work this out with, with Aaron Rodgers if he wants to come back and play. And I think we all think he's going to come back and play somewhere, uh, and whether it's Green Bay or elsewhere. But it, it it all signs right now do point to Green Bay, Mike, and I'm going to be surprised if he doesn't come back and play. And when you just look around the landscape, that to me gives him his best opportunity to go win a Super Bowl. The number one seed over the last two years, over the last three years, they've been to the NFC Championship game twice. You just look at how close they've come. Yes, they haven't gotten over that hump, but they've been pretty darn close these last three years to getting there. They've got a division that they can once again own. Half of it is breaking in a new GM and a new head coach. The Lions are in year two of their latest reboot. It makes sense to stay put. Peter King pointed out earlier today, it's a favorable out-of-division schedule. They play the teams of the NFC East and the AFC East. So they can fatten up, they can get the one seed, and they can try to get back to the Super Bowl for the first time since the 2010 season. The grass is not going to be any greener elsewhere and as Rogers told McAfee several weeks back the grass is greener if you water it and the Packers have been taking a fire hose to the front yard in recent weeks to try to make things look more palatable to Aaron Rodgers Kyler Murray and the Cardinals uh, another unexpected quarterback conundrum Steve Keim the GM of the team says he's not concerned that Kyler Murray will hold out in 2022 without a new contract in place he said of the social media post from Kyler Murray's agent, Eric Burkhardt, that emerged on Monday morning. Kime said, I think it's just an agent doing his job. Look, I think they have to get a deal done. It's not going to be easy to get a deal done, but I think Eric Burkhardt and Kyler Murray expect a deal to be done. The situation is complicated by the fact that Burkhardt represents Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, but they just need to get it done. The challenge, as I've written and as I've said, is finding the appropriate middle ground. you got a $15 million per year range between the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes at $45 million, and the 10th highest paid quarterback in the NFL, Matt Ryan, at $30 million. That's a huge gap. Where does Kyler Murray fall? They have to figure that out, and they have to take into account the fact that the cap's going to keep going up, the market's going to keep going up, and even if he gets $45 million a year, that's right now. That's not two, three, four years from now, and two, three, four years from now, the market's going to be $50, $55, 60000000 million a year because the salary cap is going to begin to explode as we get post-pandemic into the new TV deals and the gambling money keeps going up and up and up. We're going to see the market for quarterbacks get north of 60 and start to climb towards 75. And then at some point, hopefully we live long enough to see it. And I don't think we're going to need to live long to make it happen, Shireen, $100 million a year for a quarterback. 
Yeah, it's pretty amazing how these salaries for quarterbacks have gone up, Mike, and they are going to continue to rise. So the Cardinals would be wise if they have determined that Kyler Murray is their long-term answer at quarterback. He's made the Pro Bowl the last two seasons, as we know, but is he going to take that next step that they want him to take? He hasn't won a playoff game yet, one playoff appearance. But, okay, let me ask you this. If, you, if you're going to extend Kyler Murray this offseason, do you also extend Cliff Kingsbury, who I don't feel like has earned that extension, but he's the one that wanted Kyler. Kyler, by all accounts, loves Cliff Kingsbury. Let's say you have a bad season in 2022, and you're going to get rid of Cliff Kingsbury. Doesn't that tie your hands a little bit as to who you're going to hire as head coach after this season? Or do you commit to Cliff Kingsbury now long-term, too, if you're committing to Kyler Murray long-term? Well, and here's the problem. When there was a dust-up in the media regarding the notion that Michael Bidwell, the owner of the Cardinals, wasn't happy with the way the season ended, they went from 10-2, and two, they fell apart, they were one mm-hmm. and out in the playoffs, I, I sensed some frustration from the Kingsbury-slash-Murray camp about that, and I got the impression that if they did anything to Kingsbury, they were going to have a problem with Murray. So as long as Burkhardt is representing both guys, I think the Cardinals have to make it work with both guys. It's a perfect situation to be in if you're Kingsbury because if the Cardinals want to keep Murray, they got to keep you. If the Cardinals are going to get rid of you, they got to be ready to move on from Murray. So I think it's a combination of taking care of Kingsbury, taking care of Murray, and continuing to try to move forward. And you can look at this two different ways. You can look at it on one hand and say the Cardinals overall are getting better with each passing year. The other side of it, though, is with each passing year, it's the same old result. Start good to great and peter out. Cliff Kingsbury done that every year he's been a head coach. Murray's done it every year he's been in the league. And the last two years, particularly after the Hale Murray throw, the win over the Bills, they fell apart that season. Last year after the 10-2 start, they fell apart. That's the narrative that is going to continue to dog Murray and Kingsbury, and they have to break that this year. But from the team's perspective, they got to pay these guys before they get a chance to break that narrative. Yeah, they do, Mike. And the other thing is, we just talk about the Packers division, and when you look at the Packers division, it's probably Aaron Rodgers' best chance to win. When you look at the Cardinals division, shoot, they're in there with the Super Bowl champion Rams. Uh, Seattle, we expect, probably take a step back, depending on what happens with Russell Wilson. Uh, But then you have the 49ers in there, too. And what if Tom Brady goes there? A tough division we're talking about. So uh, it's going to be tough for the Cardinals to get this thing done. But I'm with you. I think that the two are married together. And if you give Kyler Murray an extension this offseason, which I think they should, then you also have to give Cliff Kingsbury an extension. The Indianapolis Colts are not considering an extension with quarterback Carson Wentz. They're considering getting rid of him. Chris Ballard, the GM of the team, told reporters we'll do what's best for the Colts. Frank Reich, the head coach, said we're still in the evaluation process. Look, it's out there too extensively that the Colts are intent on moving on from Carson Wentz for it to not be a thing. They would have pushed back in some way. And I think it all emanates from owner Jim Ursay, who's done with Carson Wentz. They did their one-year experiment. It didn't work. They're paying the price. They're giving up a first-round pick this year to finish the price they paid for Carson Wentz. But they're not going to compound a mistake by doubling down. That's a sign of a functional team. A dysfunctional team will stick with a guy because, hey, we gave up so much to get him, we can't acknowledge we were wrong and let him go. A functional team will say, 
If you make a mistake, you only make it worse by not owning up to it and moving on. So I think they're going to move him. I think a team like the Steelers needs to consider him because he's better than Mason Rudolph. Then again, that's a low bar. But I, I think they're going to move him if they can. And if they can't, they're just going to have to cut him and they're going to have to eat it. Yeah, that's exactly right, Mike. And and I think they're probably going to end up cutting him depending on what they ask for him because nobody's going to give up a high pick for Carson Wentz. I mean, he went to Indianapolis and we said, oh, he, you know, Frank Reich made him what he was the year he was an MVP candidate before the knee injury. He's going to get it done with Frank. Well, he didn't get it done with Frank Reich. So if he can't get it done with Frank Reich, who is going to make him the quarterback that we saw for for most of the season before his for his knee injury a few years ago? It, probably no one. So I think they end up probably having to cut him and he'll get a chance somewhere else to go make good, at least as a bridge quarterback. A lot of these teams just need bridge quarterbacks, especially with the draft being what it is for quarterbacks this season, Mike. There just aren't a bunch of first-round quarterbacks you're going to draft this year. So maybe he's a good bridge quarterback for somebody into next year. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, we're going to answer some questions, and then we stand down for back-to-back interviews from Indianapolis. Nick Casario and Joe Shane will be back with more Tuesday PFTPM right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, quick mailbag. Neil Watches PFT asks, should the Browns explore other options next season other than Baker Mayfield at quarterback, and that's a relevant question today because GM Andrew Barry says that the Browns' expectation is that Baker will be the team's quarterback in 2022. He is entering the option year of his rookie contract. He'll technically be a free agent after the season, but they can use the franchise tag if they choose. Shereen, what do you think they should do? Well, I think they should look at their other options, Mike, because he's probably going to play this season under the fifth-year option, $18.86 million. So they're at least going to have to look ahead to 2023 and what they're going to do. If Baker has another bad season, they've got to go another route. So they at least need to look around and see what's out there for this season and or beyond this season. I still believe in Case Keenum as an alternative if Mayfield, for whatever reason, can't get it done this year. But this is all going to come to a head fairly quickly. He's either going to play and stay healthy and play at a level that justifies extending him, or we're going to know by Halloween that it's not working and the Browns will be on the market for someone in 2023. And I think they have to be looking. You have to consider your alternatives. I'm sorry, Baker Mayfield has not performed at a level where he's untouchable. So if something falls into your lap, that would be a dramatic upgrade over Baker Mayfield. You have to take advantage of it. It's all what's in the best interest of the team. Mayfield has not consistently performed at a level that immunizes himself from that kind of cold, harsh football reality. New York Nick, can you see the Giants trading Saquon Barkley? Joe Shane said today everything is on the table. $7.2 million salary, and I think they would listen. Shereen, I don't know who would pay him $7.2 million given the fact that he's been injured several times and he just has never lived up to that number two overall draft pedigree. 
Oh, I think they would love to trade him for anything. It wouldn't matter what, Mike, but nobody's going to offer the Giants anything for Saquon Barkley, so he's going to be back with the Giants this year. The one alternative would be to pay some of that salary. It's fully guaranteed. We've seen that happen before with other trades where you make a deal happen and the team that is moving him pays some of the money to unload the rest of the money and to get something in return. And you can go draft a running back in round five or six or whatever you get. And uh, you can find running backs anywhere and everywhere. And it was a mistake by the Giants to do what they did back in 2018. We won't make the mistake of going over. We got to go. When we return, Nick Casario, then after that, Joe Shane. Plenty more PFTPM still to come right after this. Joining us now live from Indianapolis, he is now the second-year general manager of the Houston Texans, Nick Casario. Nick, welcome to the program. How are you? Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Long time coming. Uh, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. <laughs> yep. We'll see. We'll see. Don't no, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, it's over. <laughs> you might regret know, this. Early. All right. <laughs> it's early. Yeah. For, for, first question. What possessed you to do this? <laughs> hey, I'm pretty open minded and pretty flexible, so I can I can handle anything. But uh, no, I mean, I think it's a good opportunity for us to kind of have a dialogue and discussion, you know, Chris and I obviously have a relationship, go back a little bit. And, you know, I know, Mike, you have, you know, you've been, you're very well respected in the league. And, you know, you've been at this long time and have a unique perspective. So, you know, it's always good to have kind of an open dialogue. And, you know, I'm a pretty open-minded person. So, you know, I'm ready for anything. You're the man. I, I appreciate you sitting here with us. I really do. I really do. Thanks. Yeah, I, I, and, 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 I, and, I, and I do too. And uh, it's, it's refreshing that folks understand we've got a job to do, you've got a job to do, and we all exist together under this strange NFL sure. biosphere. So let, let's start with uh, – this is your chance. I know you haven't talked to anybody else today, so this is an exclusive. How is the Deshaun Watson situation going to resolve? When, where, and to which team? And when will we know what's going to happen? Yeah, it's a fair question, Mike. Obviously, it's been going on here for a long time. I think there's really no timetable. I think whenever there's a resolution, there's going to be a resolution. I know it's kind of a you know simple way to look at it, but you know I certainly don't have a crystal ball. I think you know we've been pretty consistent, you know, going back to even last year. Try to take it one day at a time. There's obviously a lot of layers and a lot of components that are associated, you know, with this particular situation. I mean, ultimately, you know, my responsibility and job is to do what I feel is in the best interest of the Houston Texans organization. Um, whatever that manifests itself as, you know, I really don't have an answer for you at this point. So kind of take it day to day, take the information as it unfolds and just try to make the right decision, you know, for our club. How close did it come to happening last year during the season up against the trade deadline or at any time during the season? <clears throat> Yeah, I would say there was certainly dialogue at different points of the offseason, Mike. Um, you know, the trade deadline is kind of a finite endpoint, not only for, I would say, a player like Deshaun or other players throughout the course of the league. Um, I'd say there's a number of players that were kind of bandied about as potentially that were going to move, you know, before the trade deadline. Um, so there were dialogues and discussions about, I would say, Deshaun and other players as well in the end. Um, it didn't come to fruition. Um, so then we kind of transitioned, you know, once the trade, the trade deadline was over, 
kind of transition to the next phase, just kind of focus on the rest of the season, you know, and try to make some progress as a team, understanding that once the season was over, then once we kind of flip the page in the calendar 2022, then, you know, kind of have maybe some open discussions and dialogue with respective teams throughout the league. Um, so I would say that's ongoing. Um, and kind of going back to your first question, there's not necessarily a timetable in terms of a resolution, um, but at some point I would expect there to be a resolution. Um, you know, just don't have a definitive answer at this point. You're, you're detailed. I know you always have a plan. You're a tireless worker. But with all that and, you know, the Watson stuff, does it does it make it hard to plan for the future as a GM right now without being kind of unresolved? No, it's a fair question. I think what you have to do is kind of create different buckets. Yeah. So that's kind of in one bucket. Right. And then the running the team day to day and the team building is kind of a separate bucket. Right. So as we sit here today, we know where we are from a salary cap standpoint, the start of the new league year. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. We also know how many players we have as free agents on our team, you know, 30 some odd players. Right. So those are some things that are known quantities. So we have kind of an unknown quantity over here. And yeah. then we also know at this point that we have nine draft picks. So four in the top 108. So in having, you know, the third overall pick wherever we pick in the second round, having a two third round pick. So last year at this time, we were under a different set of circumstances. That was still its own separate bucket. Yeah, yeah. Our cap situation was a little bit different. Right. And we were just trying to build, fill out the team. Right. So I'd say we're in a little better place than where we were, I'd say, last year at this Definitely. time. Definitely got some depth on the team. So yep. we've kind of have a foundation in place to gotcha. some degree. So I think what you have to do is kind of be able to segment and prioritize, okay, what we can control and deal with now. Right. And then kind of have this separate bucket over here, understanding at some point there's going to be a resolution, but there's not a finite timetable to it. Yeah, I'm going to say that's hard. I don't I don't care. I know you're not going to say that, but, damn, that's hard to, be, to organize a team that way. It is. It really is. So I give you credit for that. All right. Other thing I'm, I'm just interested in, I mean, having worked with you in New England a little bit, how everything's done there, you know, of course it's, it's precision and detail and, and all of that. Do you bring the whole philosophy to Houston? Is there a Nick Casario spin on things? How, how does that work? No, it's a great question. I think all of us have been given an opportunity in New England, uh, and we were trained arguably under you know one of the better football people in the history of our sport. Yeah. You know, I don't think anybody could argue with that from Bill's perspective. I think what we all have to do is there's 32 buildings, there's 32 programs. You have to build it kind of in your own way and do the things that you believe in that are important to you and kind of put your own spin on right. it. I'd say that's the most important thing. You have to be true to who you are, do the things that you believe in, not try to be somebody else, yeah. and just be consistent day to day. And I would say philosophically from a program building standpoint, there are things that you're certainly going to carry with you, but you're not going to just drop one program from one location and into a new building. Yeah, it just sure. doesn't work that way. There's right. too many moving parts. Right. So you just sort of have to assess where you are. What do you have in your building? What's on your team? And then just try to systematically make the right decisions along the way. So I think that's the most important thing that all of us need to do. Yeah, yeah. What's been the biggest challenge for you over the past year or so in adapting to the Texans organization, bringing the things you want to bring, and recognizing what the unique requirements of that organization and its culture are? No, it's a great question, Mike. I think the biggest thing is just learning people. So there's a lot of people in the building who 
I didn't have a relationship with previously or hadn't worked with previously. Um, you know, James Lifford was our college director, so James and I worked together, so that certainly helped. You know, I had a relationship with Jack, obviously, from my time there in New England, um, but there was a lot of new people. So I think you just have to have an understanding of what's going on in the building, what has taken place in the past, what are some of the things that we can actually do incrementally to try to make some improvements, and understand that we have a pretty long runway in front of us, and, you know, we kind of have to sort of rebuild the team on a lot of different levels. So we started that process to a degree last year, Mike. I would say to a certain extent, you know, David deserves a lot of credit for that to kind of get us kind of going and moving in the right direction. Um, you know, ultimately at the end of the year, I had to make, you know, a difficult decision um, and to move on from David. And, you know, we went through the whole hiring process here and put Lovey in that chair. So I think you can't accomplish everything overnight. So I think tried to just kind of bring some stability year one, try to flatten out the cap situation try to create a competitive environment, a competitive situation, and just make sure it understands you know, what are the things that are important for not only the players, but the coaches and the staff members that come into the building, and that we're trying to establish a high level of performance. You know, We certainly have a lot of work to do. We have a long runway in front of us. We're not there yet, but hopefully we've at least started moving in the right direction. I said earlier we all have a job to do in this crazy NFL ecosystem, and since you took us to the neighborhood, let me go ahead and ask you the question, because this is something that Chris and I have struggled to understand. David Culley, one year, let go, and you cited philosophical differences. What were the philosophical differences that you had with David Culley after only one year following the hiring of David Culley? No, it's a fair question, Mike. Um, I would say... Each year, my responsibility in the role that I'm in is to oversee the football operation and try to make decisions that I think make the most sense. And as you evaluate your team, you're evaluating all aspects of your team. You're evaluating the players. You're evaluating things schematically that you're doing. You're evaluating, okay, what are some of the adjustments? What's the plan moving forward? Um, I would say just out of respect to everybody involved, I don't want to get into some of the granular details on that, but I think there were plenty of discussion and dialogue and opportunities to kind of hit some of those things. Um, in the end, based on where I felt we were headed, ultimately, you know, I felt the right decision to make was to move on from David. I would say, going back, you never enter a relationship and expect it to be a short-term type of thing. Like, that certainly wasn't the intention. That wasn't the plan. Um, but, again, at the end of the year, my responsibility is to evaluate everything. And Cal has entrusted me the responsibility and given me the authority over the entire football operation. So in the end, like that was the decision that I had to make. Was it an easy decision? Absolutely not. I have a lot of respect and appreciation for the things that David did for us. But ultimately, you know, this is a business, you know, where you have to make some tough decisions. And sometimes the the, the right decision and the, the hard decision are, are the same thing. So, again, very appreciative for what David did for us. I'd say his leadership, his stability, his consistency throughout the course of the year. Um, just talking to some other folks um, a little bit earlier, the way the team played and performed, I'd say the effort, um, the toughness that they displayed on a week-to-week basis, I mean, that's a reflection of the coaching staff more than anything else. So, you know, certainly um, appreciative and, and, you know, indebted to him for that. But, you know, it's never easy. Um, and ultimately, in the end, I felt that, you know, I had to do what I felt made the most sense for our team at the time. So that's why we did what we did. Yeah, tough decisions, certainly. I mean, hey, you, you talked about it a little. Your team, you know, you've created a little bit of a nucleus. You got some depth. I think you got some core players you like to, to lead the team. 
quarterback situation, not, you know, not even talking about Deshaun Watson, Davis Mills, talk about him a little bit. He was a pleasant surprise to me. You know, do you envision him being the future guy, or are we still keeping all options open right now in the evaluation process? Yeah, I think you have to be pragmatic in your yeah. approach. Um, evaluate kind of what happened last year. Um, certainly when you look at his year specifically, it's kind of going back to what we talked about, two different buckets, right? Yeah, there yeah. was the, okay, enter the game against Cleveland, finish the game, very competitive, right. quick turnaround against Carolina Thursday night. Right. Okay, then we go to Buffalo, which is as hard a place to play. Yep, right. a great, Buffalo is a great team, one of the right. better teams in the league with a great defense. Yep. You know, New England the next week. Okay, then Arizona. So, yeah. you know, and then had a little bit of a, a gap there. Ty came back against Miami. Right. And ultimately made the decision to let Go Davis finish and, out the yeah. year. And I would say that kind of window of time or those few games yeah. kind of not playing probably helped him. Right. And there was a certain level of comfort. Um, I think a lot of credit is, goes to David. A lot of credit goes to Pep. A lot of credit goes to Timmy Kelly for, you know, putting him in a position. Um, and the players around him, I would say, responded favorably well. So, that happened last year, so now we kind of have to say, okay, here we are March 1st, whatever it is. Okay, try to make some progress. Try to build on some of the things you did last season. Try to focus on having a good offseason program. And once we kind of get into OTAs, ultimately the performance on the field is going to dictate the players that are going to play, quarterback included. Right, right. And, I mean, did, so from what you're saying there, I mean, it doesn't sound like he I – mean, if, if a big, big free, free agent quarterback came about. You know, we're open to those options, too. I mean, like, you know, I know you got your own quarterback issues to deal with, but are we looking to stay with him and see what he's got for the future? Do we look to draft young, or are you willing to go maybe with a veteran-proven guy? Yeah, I think you have to look at everything and just figure out what makes the most sense for your team. So, I mean, we know Davis is under contract here for the next however many years. Tyrod's a free agent, so we're going to have more than one quarterback on the team here at some point. So. How do we get those players on a team? Who are those players? And I would say any position, if there's an opportunity to add somebody that we think has value to our team, that has an opportunity to compete and create a good situation for himself, then you know we'll certainly consider yeah, it. Yeah. <clears throat> hey, Nick, Lovey Smith, the new head coach. And from our perspective, he kind of popped up as a finalist after there were multiple reports as to who the finalists were, and he wasn't one of them. Walk us through how you settled on Lovey Smith when you had considered some other folks for the job. Yeah, I'd say Lovey was a, a good resource kind of the month of January. So from the time that, that we moved on from David till the end point there, we made the decision. So talked to a number of different coaches throughout the course of the league. Uh, some are a little bit more public relative to who you interview, who you talk to. But, you know, I probably spoke to other coaches, not necessarily in an interview type of format, but other coaches that had experience who had coached at different levels in the league. So, again, when you have an hour or so conversation about a different coach, about a program, some of the things that they're doing, maybe it doesn't fall under an interview. But that process for me was about gathering information and trying to talk to as many quality people as possible. So we did that throughout the month. I did that throughout the month of January, and Lovey was a part of those discussions. Lovey had a perspective being in our building last year about our program, about the players, about some of the things that we were doing from a program standpoint, from a program building standpoint. And we were kind of having, I would say, continuous dialogue throughout. So as we worked through the process um, and ultimately, you know, as we got to the end point there, he was the the candidate that that I felt made the most sense for our program and some of the things that, you know, we wanted to do and we were trying to do. So I think once we were able to get Lovey in place, then we were able to kind of put a a staff in place. So we kind of have our feet on the ground right now. In the last couple weeks, I think everybody at least is in the building and we're kind of moving forward and kind of starting our preparation here for the 22 season. And after you announced that Lovey Smith would be getting the job, Brian Flores' lawyers issued a statement saying that Brian didn't get the job 
because of the lawsuit that he's filed against the NFL and three teams. What's your response to their accusation? Yeah, I would say I have a lot of respect um, admiration for Brian as a person and a coach. I think Brian is one of the kind of the better coaches in our league. You know, ultimately, my responsibility is to do what's best for the Houston Texans organization. So that's what we did with the hiring of Lovey. <clears throat> well done. It sounded like he got Counselor Florio to uh, answer. No, Mike's a better attorney than I will ever be. I almost went to law school. I was going to go <laughs> Just... to law school and be a poli man, <laughs> but I decided not to do it. And Well, I started finance before I got into football, so Mike's a better attorney than I would ever have been. Okay, so. well, you're a better GM, that's for sure. We know that. <laughs> well, All right, we'll give you the edge there. Depends who you ask, I'm <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. You're right. Maybe we'd ask Mike that sometimes. But either way, um, uh, you talk about you know the team itself. Just on the field, like what's what's priority number one for for you as far as I know you don't want to tell us all the answers, but just position that you go, we got to strengthen this this year, this offseason. Yeah, I mean, I would say, would you just look at our team right now? Yeah. We have a lot of players not under contract on the interior of the offensive line and, you know, on the, the edge of the offense, a tight end, you know, and running backs. So, what, three or two or three running backs that played a fair amount right. last year right. aren't under contract. So, yeah. I would say offensively, there's some areas that we're going to have to look to address or fill. To a certain extent, the same exists on the defensive side of the ball as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. when you sign a number of players to one year deals and you have 31, 32 players <laughs> that are free agents, so there's a lot of gaps, there's a lot of holes, but I mean, that's what we're going through right now. Um, we've had a lot of discussions internally in our building. We've evaluated you know, a number of players at those different spots. So it's not about how they get to our team. It's about what they do when they get into our building. Um, but I think, to your point, like we've been able to maintain some players, re-sign some players during the year, extending Burkhead, you know, keeping guys in the building, you know, guys like Tavier Thomas, whose role grew as the year progressed, he's under contract for another year extended Traymon so probably on the you know lower level of the roster or kind of depth of the roster but try to build that infrastructure you know the middle of the bottom half and then try to add you know as many top line players as we can that you know given the resource um, constraints that we may or may not have right right last thing like that was kind of a different move with all the one-year contracts I mean just kind of tell people you know what was behind that thought process to do that yeah, we knew, you know, we didn't have a first or second round pick. Yeah. So let's say draft resource and draft capital was going to be minimal. Um, and I think a lot of it was just to try to get as many people in the building yeah. as possible that had some level of experience in that kind of three to seven year window. Right. Who had some experience, who had played at a competitive level. Yeah. And just try to create as much competition as possible. And then once we get through this year, I think there's a number of players that played for us last year that we're going to want to try to we keep. Want you back right. Yeah, so right. you're not going to really know that until you get them in your building. Yeah, so. Yeah. I think we knew we were going to be a little bit more veteran-heavy, right. just given, I would say, our draft capital. Right. Um, and we you know, drafted five and then signed six undrafted players. So I would say maybe a little bit more of a balanced approach this year. But, again, so a lot of that is subject to supply and demand, yeah, so sure. we'll kind of have to see how it goes here once we get rolling. Right. Nick, we appreciate you joining us very much. We look forward to talking to you again. All the best as you get ready for the 2022 season. And, again, we look forward to doing this hopefully sooner rather than later. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. You're the man, Nick. Joining us now, the new general manager of the New York football giants, Chris Sims. Try to control the yourself, please. G-man. Giants, Joe the G-man. Giants, the G-man. Joe, I apologize Thanks in advance me. for Chris slobbering all over you. Great to see you. Congratulations <laughs> on your success. What drew you to the Giants, despite the fact that you have to deal with Phil and Chris Sims as mega fans of the team? 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, just uh, the Mara family, uh, the Tisch family, just over the years, you know, the first time I had really heard a lot about the organization was working with John Fox when I was back in Carolina back in the day, and he always had an affinity for the Giants organization and, and how they treated people. And, and ever since then, everybody I talked to on the road was kind of in the same boat. So uh, the interview went well. It felt good. It felt comfortable. It felt right for my family and I. So uh, I'm glad it worked out. What do you regard your number one job to be? Now that you have a coach and a coaching staff, what's your number one objective moving forward? To be competitive in 2022. Um, you know, again, we got to get the salary cap in order, but you, you got to do that and still be, you know, have a competitive roster where you show progress in 2022. So, um, you know, that's what I'm tasked with. This is a big couple weeks here before we get to the start of the new league year. Um, you know, so still to get the cap in order and have a competitive roster and still, still look to the future as well, you know, with the long-term vision of the organization in mind. You know, you, you, you talk about your history around the NFL, everything there. You came from Buffalo. Of course, it's a great organization, got everything going in the right direction. Like, tell, tell us some of the lessons you've learned as far as, you know, what, what, to, to make you great at this job. Like, some of the things that you'll kind of take away from, from other great people you've been around. Yeah, I think for the longest time, you know, I was just on the personnel side. So yeah. I, was, I was a scout, an area right. scout, a national scout, assistant, you know, college director, director of player personnel. And then I would say my exposure with, with Brandon Bean because he came up on you know, the football operations side. He was the director of football operations. Then when he was the interim GM, he really dove into the evaluation side. And, and Brandon's a good evaluator and, right. and understands team building. So he was really able to expose me, like in terms of leadership around the entire football operation. As much as you'd like to think this job is just sitting in your office and watching for film for 12 hours a day and evaluating players and say, I'd pick that guy, I'd take that guy. It's not like yeah, that anymore. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you're dealing with, you know, the strength strength department, you're dealing with the trainers, you're dealing with every aspect of football operations, the salary cap. So, you know, kind of like a head coach would get you there, you know, in terms of calling plays one side of the ball or a special teams coach, you know, a lot of time your time is, you know, allocated elsewhere. It's the same for the general manager position. So working with Brandon, that really set me up for this, just understanding how to lead an entire football, you know, organization. Yeah, right. So now you're there, you're with a guy that you're familiar with and Brian Dayball. You know, I'd love for you to tell Giants fans or whoever out there just what about him you like so much. And like just a little bit of a second off of that too is do you sit down and watch film with him and do you guys go through the roster together to think about the vision of the team or is that something you do separately and then meet? How does that all kind of work? Yeah, it's a good question. So we actually worked together back in Miami. I believe it was 2011. He was the offense coordinator there. So it was my first time meeting Brian, and we stayed in contact. Yeah. And obviously when he came to Buffalo, um, you know, we had a good working relationship, you know, had a lot of conversations. Um, you know, he's a guy I've had tough conversations with before in terms of, you know, disagreeing on players or whatever it may be. So, right. you know, we've been through some of those uh, situations before. But, yeah, when he got in the building, there was several times we were like, hey, remember that meeting we had? Yeah, it's, it's going to be structured like this. Well, he's been in that meeting before, and so have I. So he could articulate to his staff what I wanted and I could tar- articulate to my staff what he wanted. So there was some just unpacking of the suitcase and let's go, you know, right away. But uh, he's a good leader. He's a good communicator. You know, he can really bring people together, not just, you know, the, the football team and the coaches, but the entire organization and the building. So, and he's a very good offensive mind. And, you know, he, he, he crossed both sides of the football when we were in Buffalo. Yeah. It wasn't just the offensive side of the ball. Right. The defensive guys liked him. He had a lot of relationships. And it's a relationship business. And, you know, he also has to be, you know, happens to be a really good offensive coordinator no and doubt. a good coach. No doubt. Joe, one of the things that caught our attention when you were introduced as the GM and also when Brian Dayball arrived as the coach, the commitment to Daniel Jones, the team's quarterback. And we got the clear impression he's the guy. There's no question about it. There's been some doubt about that after the 2021 season, obviously, but now he's the guy. How do you reconcile those statements with what you said earlier today that 
a decision hasn't been made on whether to pick up his fifth-year option. Yeah, again, we haven't been around him other than a couple weeks. And, again, the advantage we have is that with Dayball being a new head coach, the players will be in the building on April 4th, and we'll get to have a chance to have a mini camp uh, the week before the draft. So, again, we're going to take our time with the process. We're going we're gonna to be around Daniel. We're going to get a chance to see him throw and work with the guys that we have. So we don't have to have a decision until May 2nd. So we're going to be patient with that decision. What similarities or differences do you see between his skill set and Josh Allen's skill set? Yeah, I'm not a big uh, fan of comparing players to players. I do that in draft meetings too, but um, you know, I, I don't think it's fair to, to compare the two. But what I will tell you about Daniel is he's a tireless worker. He's in the building every day. Um, you know, I was telling a story earlier in my press conference. We have a good morning workout group because a lot of the families are out of the town, so we seem to have a good group in the mornings. They're working out. He was there at 5:30 in the morning, you know, working out as well. So I know this: what, whatever ability he has, and he does have ability. He's athletic. He, he's got a good arm strength. Uh, he's, he's played some good football in this league, his makeup is going to allow him to reach whatever his ceiling is. So that makes me excited to work with him. And, and Josh was very similar in terms of those traits. Josh is a tireless worker, has all the physical ability, and he's going to reach his ceiling because of, of those traits as well. The roster. Like, when I just say the roster right now, what's the first thing that pops to your head where you just go, okay, I gotta, we got to fix this spot? I mean, to me as a Giants fan, I'm just going to tell you the offensive line needs help. But, you know, where are you, GM? I know you got to delegate a lot of responsibilities. Where's your brain go? Yeah, the roster goes uh, – we have a lot of work to do. Yeah. We have a lot of work to do. Yeah. But the offensive linemen – I mean, right now we have five offensive linemen that yeah. are healthy. So, right. you know, we do have a lot of work. I think everybody sees that. But, you know, it's across the board, not just frontline guys, but I think we really need to work on improving the depth across the roster as well. So, um, you know, everybody sees the offensive line as a, a big void and a place that needs to be upgraded. But I also see, you know, the, there's other positions on offense, defense, special teams. And, again, we want to continue to build not just frontline guys but right. good depth as well. yeah. yeah. Mike's got one more for you, Mike. Go ahead, Mike. Joe, I saw that both you and Brian were asked about the Brian Flores lawsuit earlier today and had no comment on it. And if I was your lawyer, I would tell you don't talk about it. I want to ask you this, though, (laughs) because the case is going to be around. There's going to be developments. There's going to be accusations. There's going to be arguments. There's going to be this. There's going to be that. How do you keep it from becoming a distraction within the football operation? Yeah, that's a good question. Again, it's it's under uh, investigation right now, so I'm just going to stay away from that. We'll, we'll do our best if, if it becomes a distraction to try to nip it in the butt, but I don't foresee that becoming an issue. Well done. Well done. Joe, sounds we, like you've been counseled well by done. a better lawyer than <laughs> yeah. Florio. Right. Sounds like you've been counseled by somebody better. Way to <laughs> yes. go. <laughs> yes. yes. Well done, Joe. Right, got it. See, that's why you Giants material right there. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Hopefully next time you come, you know, get you the, <laughs> Give yeah, the, well, the steak well, and the wine again well, next time you come through. <laughs> We'll have a big steak and a big bottle of wine and uh, probably need two or three of them if Sims is around. Thanks, Joe. Good luck going forward. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks, Mike. Good talking to you. Here we go, Giants. (laughs) The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.